Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients, like homemade, but better. G2G bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G bars, you will taste the difference. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome, everybody, to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno, episode 38. Today's guest is Winnipeg Blue Bombers kicker punter, Justin Medlock. Justin, thanks so much for being on today's episode of the show. I'm super excited to talk kicking and punting with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Justin, it's been an absolute whirlwind of a year in 2020 with having had no CFL season. But one of the best things about being able to have this time to reflect is to think back to all the years of playing in many different places, especially for someone like yourself who has had a great CFL career, has played in the NFL as well. Have there been times in the last year that you've reflected a lot in your career? Or how have you coped with, with the uncertainty of the CFL's future? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's been a crazy year for sure. I think a lot of thinking, I think everybody's just been thinking a lot. So that's definitely, I'm not, I'm not the only one there. Um, but yeah, I mean, just thinking about your whole career, that's a, that always comes through, um, especially, you know, once you get to the end of your career, you get a little bit older and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a crazy year. It's been good to uh, celebrate a little bit more uh, longer than we should have, but um, I just, you know, you, you're super thankful to just be able to play with some of those guys. And uh, we got, we had a great group of uh, players and teammates and friends that, you know, we're able to get it done and um, win a great cup this last year and or two years ago, 2019. I think that's the hardest thing is that I'm always like, when I'm telling the stories, I'm always like, yeah, last year, but it really was like two years ago. So it's definitely, um, yeah, but we just had a great group of guys and uh, the locker room bought in. So, you know, we're able to finish it. And an interesting note, as we had mentioned previous to recording was that Winning with Winnipeg in 2019 was your first ever Grey Cup title in your career. How did it feel to know that after all the years of hard work and the times you came close with Hamilton and Toronto, that you were finally able to to get the beloved Grey Cup ring in your cabinet? Yeah, no, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's just tough. Uh, you know, I've come so close so many times. Um, teams that were better than other teams and you know, it really is just winning is just being hot at the right time. Right. Um, the team that we had that won was ready to win. It's just a matter of, you know, executing, right. And being able to play your best at the end. And, you know, our defense just played so amazing in that, that run. And, um, the whole team just played amazing towards that, that last little bit, we weren't really playing that well towards the end of that 2019, so that was the, you know, that was a little bit more of a challenge, but from the beginning, I mean, we were starting out, we were just like 
beating up on some teams pretty bad and um, the games would be over by halftime. And it would just reminded me a lot of the 2015 Hamilton team when Zach Kolaros was, was a, was a quarterback and he tore his ACL that year. I, I mean, our team was, I, we almost had thoughts in our, in our mind, just thinking to ourselves, the only thing that could go wrong is if Zach got hurt and Zach got hurt. And, but our team was ready to roll. And like, I mean, I think we played Toronto one time. It was like August or something. And I mean, there was like one minute left in the half and we were already up by like 40. And then the, like the rain delay came and like lightning and everything. It went into the halftime. We went into the locker room and I was just like, we're killing this team. And we have to wait this out for another hour. Then we have to go back out, play one minute, then come back, have a halftime and play a whole, you know, whole rest of the um, rest of the game. It was just uh, our team was rolling during that time. So that, that, that was probably the closest where I was like, dang, we need to get that one done. So, um, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been cool. It's been, uh, it's been good to at least finish it off. And you mentioned the 2015 team. I remember exactly what game you're talking about against Winnipeg. I think it was here at investors group where he went to, I think it was, I think it was that game where he went down with, you know, tearing his ECL and then the I game was, he hurt himself against uh, Edmonton. It was Edmonton or what yeah, then the fluke play. Okay. Okay. Cause I was thinking of another, I, I was thinking of another game or maybe, I think maybe he got, he got concussed and was out for the game and then came back yeah. later in Edmonton. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, but even still in that game, I remember you guys were up by like 20 or 30 and then the bombers put in their third string and then he scored a touchdown with two minutes left and it made it a, tw- a 20 point game instead of 30 or 35 or something like that. But it was, it was an some bad during that time. <laughs> oh yeah. But, and Hamilton too, just a team in general that's come close so many times since 99 now holding the record for the longest drought without a great cup that's active, but they're again, knocking on the doorstep. They were a great team last year. They handled you guys during the regular season, but then in the great cup being battle tested and being road warriors really played a key factor in allowing you guys to come together at the right time. Yeah, exactly. And you got to play your best game at the right time. I I went to the Great Cup once and with Hamilton, and we played okay. We played average. I don't think Calgary played that great either, and they ended up winning. But you just have to be able to play your best game at the end, especially towards the end, just to get there. You just got to be playing really good football. And you see the way that you guys came together towards the end of 2019 – that first game with Zach Kalora starting was so memorable. I remember watching it downstairs in my basement and, and thinking, well, we have nothing to lose. What's the worst that could happen? The team already looks like they may not get a playoff spot. And if Kalora comes in and plays great, it amazing. We caught lightning in a bottle and the way he was playing and moving around on the pocket and avoiding sacks and, and, and doing everything really well. It was so exciting to see. And then at the end of the game, you guys had the chance to win it and you were able to get just enough loft to put the fi- finishing touches on a great win against Calgary. Talk a bit about what that game felt like and what the locker room was like afterwards when you guys had seen what Kolaros done in, in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I played with Zach and so I knew what he could do. Um, he gave us an opportunity and you know, he can, he can play. Right. So you know, he can pass the ball and, you know, we were kind of struggling a little bit during that time in the middle of that season. So, you know, I remember when the trade deadline was happening and, you know, we were kind of, a few of us were just like, 
you know, we need to get them here, you know? So, um, we ended up getting them and, uh, you know, you know, kudos to Kyle Walters just finishing that deal. And, um, we made the move at the right time. It just, it ended up at the right time because I feel like if that would have happened one more game, it would have been tough. Um, so it ended up at the right time. And then just being able to play that last game and, you know, he, him getting that start playing so well, he really played well against Calgary at home and, um, to kick that game winner was pretty cool. Uh, it's kind of crazy because I never really kicked any game winners in IGF. So it was like one of those things I was waiting for and then it ended up being like the last game of the season. So it was cool to, to get that under, under my belt. You've had a few memorable game winners for the Bombers on the road, especially one of the most iconic ones, in my opinion, being the one that broke the streak on Labor Day in 2016, the first time the Bombers had won on that specific game since 2004. It was the 12-year span. I remember watching that in my, in my res building at University of Calgary, and it was so cool to see what a great effort the team had started to pull during the first half of the season, and Matt Nichols really starting to – come into his own and quite honestly everything coming together at the right time but taking that gradual build up because from coming to Winnipeg in 2016 to the team finally making the playoffs after five years without making it and then slowly but surely starting to build so what was your reasoning to come to Winnipeg in the first place and and how did you feel more and more confident in the ability for the organization to finally bring a great cup to the city yeah um you know, at the end of my Hamilton, I knew that that was going to be my like last game. I figured I was going to try to target uh, Winnipeg, uh, you know, Chad Rempel, the snapper. Um, We've kind of kept in uh, contact and, you know, I was hoping that it would work out and, you know, it did. And that was a great move. And I'm super thankful to come to Winnipeg because it was weird when I played in Hamilton in Toronto. I think it was Toronto, actually, my first year in Toronto. He used to play that old stadium back in the day, the wind stadium, you know, like crazy wind in there. And I play, I think for like a few years there, I played awful. Just, I never played well. And I was like, I will never come to Winnipeg. Like I will retire before I come to Winnipeg. And I ended up, um, you know, when they built IGF, I was like, I'll come to Winnipeg now. Like I'll play in this. This is awesome. Like I love this place. And like, it's rocking. They got great fans. I was kind of, you know, suspect about Winnipeg City in general, but it's been, it was just great. I'm super thankful that I was able to sign in Winnipeg and play four years, should have been five, but um, I'm super thankful to, to be able to play there. Um, it was a great career move and um, yeah, uh, you know, the team turned it around and we had some good years there. And especially, too, right from the beginning, I think that a lot of the fans were able to see what you can truly do when you're really when you're really on and in the zone because you mentioned that the the struggles. Was that at the the Rogers Center playing in Toronto? Is that what you're referring to? No, in uh, – what's that old stadium? The old stadium. Uh, Exhibition? No, uh, something in. It's something in. I forgot what the Canada in or the Canada Stadium or some Canada stadium or something like that. Canada Inn, the whole new stadium that they had by the mall. Um, and they tore wait, it down. Are you talking about Winnipeg or, or Toronto Winnipeg stadium? Okay. 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 So oh, you're, Oh, cause I thought you were saying you're referring to in Toronto. Toronto came here to Winnipeg and I was, I was like looking at so windy out there. Oh, yeah. You're referring to Canada Inn. 
yeah, Kansas. And like, I've in the States, you play in these big stadiums that the wind just blocks it out. And so that was like the first time I ever was in, in a stadium where I was like, uh, you can't play a football game in something like this, you know? So it's pretty like cool and kudos to like Bob Cameron and, um, you know, Trevor Kenyon and Troy Westwood and all those guys that played in that stadium um, for that long because it's a pretty tough stadium to play in. You're 100% right. And I even remember uh, hearing some stories of Justin Polarity talking about his practice routine because he was on or 2011 Winnipeg was still playing at Canada stadium. And I went to many games there as a kid. It's so wide open. There is nothing stopping the wind. You're hundred percent correct. And, and I remember seeing him talk on social media about, you know, kickers and in, in their warm up videos or practice videos, they love flexing. Oh, I just hit from 55 with a nice little breeze in my back. And Justin yeah. would always say, okay, now turn it around and do that into the wind from 40, use that wind, you know, against yeah. you from 40 to 45 yards and see how, how strong you really are because his career, you know, as was a testament to his ability to adapt to difficult situations, considering, like you mentioned as well, Bob Cameron, Troy Westwood kicking with that wind against it, tons of swirling crosswinds. You never know where, what's going to happen. That's probably one of the hardest that was in terms of windiness, one of the hardest places to play in the CFL. Uh, and maybe Saskatchewan too. old mosaic stadium would be up there. Did you ever, have the same thoughts of Saskatchewan I, off your list? I, I think Winnipeg is the worst state, the old one. It was the worst, the hardest stadium to kick in. Um, Hamilton's really hard too. Uh, he's definitely a really hard. I, the last few times I've went there, it hasn't been as bad. Um, but I swear, it was like they opened that stadium and every game was windy when I played there. Like, And then I remember like, Toronto, they didn't have a stadium or something like something happened. Remember when they didn't have a stadium and then they were playing their games against Calgary and Hamilton stadium. Um, it was never windy. I was like, how is this happening? Like every time I'm playing there, it was windy. And it still was, I still was like pretty windy every time we went there for a game, but um, not like Winnipeg. Winnipeg was tricky and just different. Um, it was tough. It was a tough stand. You know, the goalposts would be like, you go downwind, it would be in, and then you go into the wind, they'd be out, you know, because the wind, the poles are so light um, compared to, you know, just strong, you know, yellow poles that are tall. It was just different. So, um, but yeah, Winnipeg is definitely a tough one. I don't think I would be in Winnipeg if that was a, that stadium still existed. <laughs> no, no, that's very fair. And it's, it is tricky. I know that if someone like yourself has had experience having played in the NFL and in the CFL. And sometimes people from America, from the NFL scene can maybe discredit or think that the CFL is quote unquote easier when that's not necessarily the case. So as someone that had played football down in the U S in big, beautiful stadiums in California and in Florida and Texas, how did you adapt or adjust to coming up to the CFL or what was the initial opportunity that brought you actually to Canada? Yeah. So I got drafted from uh, Kansas City, kind of fell on my face a little bit there um, early on. Uh, you know, that was, you know, that was tough. I ended up going to, uh, you know, I ended up having to try out with Toronto Argonauts and ended up making it there and went up to play the year in Toronto and, you know, bounced back and forth. That's when I started bouncing back and forth through the NFL and CFL route um, uh, and then just made it with the Carolina Panthers in 2012 and played there. Um, and that was, 
that was pretty cool. It was a good little um, road for me. You know, it was, I think that's where my career kind of took off a little bit where I had some really good stable years, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, just to go back to your point, it was really more just going to a tryout in, um, in Florida and getting an offer and starting my career up in Toronto. It was totally different because they, you know, the old Argonauts, you know, they have their portable locker rooms. And so you rolling up, it's like 1130 at night and they're driving us in and they, we stop by their locker room. They're like, oh yeah, we just got to pick up something from the locker room. They stop the car and somebody goes in there and I'm like, where's the locker room? Like, that's that's not a locker that's portable that's where the like elementary school goes and uh it was just totally different um totally different atmosphere but i i enjoyed my time very thankful for you know the start of the journey and able to to play so long that's that's really interesting i didn't know that things maybe seemed a little patched together in that setting with having the trailer locker room uh was that that was during the time i guess when they were still playing in the rogers center right yeah they were at the rogers center but then they had they practiced in mississauga which was about 30 minutes away mm. um on like a grass field of you know duck poop all over the place and um it was just it's different it's different when you go to different places right so um i think they still bounce around this you know they they might have a they might have a facility now but they're still always bouncing around going field to field so I think that's the hardest thing, the hardest adjustment for some Americans who have played, you know, big schools like Tennessee and Alabama and UCLA or whatnot. And then you play a little bit in the NFL and then afterwards they come back, they come up to Canada and they're like, what is this? You know? So, but it's getting a lot better now because, you, you know, Winnipeg used to be compared to Winnipeg now, SAS, what it used to be to what it is now, the facilities are just getting better and better and um, except for, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely tough for the Argos, despite the fact that they still lead CFL history in total Great Cup wins, and I think have won the Great Cup more times in the last twenty years than anybody else, maybe besides yeah. Calgary, which is kind of ironic. But um, but no, Toronto definitely a very interesting place to go. What was it like coming to Canada? Like, what were your thoughts? Had you ever traveled to Canada before when you were younger, or was it just um, or what 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 did you expect? <laughs> Uh, I think I'm just super naive about certain things. I think when it's in Canada, I'm like, oh my gosh, like the North Pole, does anybody ever live up there, you know? But um, no, I loved it. it was, like, people are just so friendly. It's a great place to to be. Live is a little tougher, I think. It's a little colder for me. Um, but I, I could probably live in Canada. I probably could. It just would be really culture change or climate change for me. Um, but the people are amazing and uh, the country is amazing. Uh, it was just, it was really cool to play football there. A little bit more relaxed than the NFL um, setting, but yeah, I met some great people and um, uh, just thankful for my time there. For sure. And I know that it's no fault to, uh, of, of yours when pe- people from the Southern U S in terms of their understanding of Canada or where, you know, where it is, what things are like there, how people are, what the weather is actually like. And it's very interesting having those, those such different conversations where Canadians oftentimes may know lots about American geography, know it, you know, I've visited all over the U S whereas in the opposite scenario, it's not as much, but there are some people for sure who do know quite a bit about Canada and have had great experiences. And, and are you originally from California yourself? 
Yeah. So I'm from California, from the Bay Area. Um, went to school at UCLA. Uh, I mean, Canada is great. I think it's a great place to, uh, to live and just certain areas are just different than others, right? Like Winnipeg's super small and I think some people get turned off by it, but it's a great place, a great, um, smaller area. I think that Winnipeg's still a big city. It's just everything outside of it. It's very small, um, but everybody's just really friendly. You know, it's all, it's all just a little bit different. You have your big cities like BC and or Vancouver and Toronto and, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Growing up as a kid, were you a big football fan or what sports did you like following growing up in the Bay Area? Uh, never really like a big football fan. I was always like basketball and soccer. So it's weird. My kid's like the same as me, just like a little mini me. He just plays sports all the time. Just asking me to go do something, you know. So um, I guess it's my fault for how he is, I guess. So, But uh yeah, no, I was always like into sports, so, but nothing, nothing, no, like not a really big football fan. So, so then how did you end up playing football? Was it the, the classic kicker tale of I played soccer and then eventually yeah. someone come and asked me to join the team? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, kicked a couple of balls, uh, saw some people kicking, went to the high school, started kicking some footballs, and I was like, ah, I think I can get a scholarship in this. I think I would be pretty good. Joined the football team and then you know, just had a plan and just worked hard. And, um, I've always worked hard. That was always a thing that I had and, you know, just continued to keep doing that in the future. So, so then let me ask you this as a kicker, uh, there's many, there's many stereotypes that exist within kicking that I myself have experienced as well from the time I played football in the first, in the last year of high school. And afterwards, people always ask you, Oh, did you, did you play soccer before? You must have played soccer before. And one that I think a lot of kickers get as they get older, once they get to the pros is, Oh, so you must like golf or you must be really good at golf. Would you say the same applies to yourself? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm definitely good at golf. I, uh, I like golfing and I was actually just talking to somebody about golf membership the other day. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, kickers are really good. Quarterbacks are really good. You know, Matt Nichols is really good at golf. Um, I played with some really good golfers that, I mean, some really good football players that are good at golf. So um, never really the linemen. They're too big and or even the linebackers are too bulky. So, um, but yeah, now we play. Who's who, Were you the best golfer in the Bombers or who is the best person that competed with you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably am. I mean, Matt's pre- Matt was pretty good. He's pretty good. We'll have some good matches, but. I would say probably eight out of 10 times I'm going to beat him. So, but he'll have some good matches. You know, he's, he's good too. He's really good. I think we'd be like the same. If I started practicing, I'm probably going to beat him 10 out of 10 times. If I lack a little bit, then I'll probably be eight out of 10, you know, but he's, he's, he's a, he's a player though. He's a stick. So then let me ask you this. Who's your favorite golfer or do you not have one? Oh, Tiger. Yeah. Tiger. I'm a Tiger fan for sure. Yeah. Tiger. He's unbelievable. And, and it's interesting because about golf, like I never really watched or paid attention to it ever, especially through most of my football career. And it wasn't until I got a job working at a golf course when I was living out in BC and really got to dive into the culture and the game of golf and start to watch, watch some, some tournaments and some events. And I remember seeing a video, it's like a famous video on YouTube of Tiger hits uh, three wood, 270 yards. And I used to always think, I'm like, 
how do you get injured playing golf? Like maybe you're back. Okay, sure. And then I saw the way his knee twisted and all the effort that went into it. I was like, okay, that makes a hundred percent sense why you'd get injured playing golf. Yeah. There's usually some like wrist injuries, back injuries. I don't know. That's probably, probably it. You get neck. I actually had a freak neck issue that I got on the golf course. I was just banging some balls away, just grinding out there one day. And I was just hitting driver after driver after driver. And I was like, I think I hit like, I must've hit like 70 drivers. And I was just like working and I just, and I, was like, ah, and I just, ah, that like kind of hurt. And then like about five minutes later, I was like, okay, I'm like spasming. I'm like, can't move my neck. And then for about two weeks, I couldn't do anything. And I actually had um, issues. I still, to this day, kind of still get issues with my neck. So, um, yeah, back and neck, not, not, no fun. No. Yeah. And especially with a game that people like to play into retirement of, I guess, professional sports or, or after career, you look at someone like Tony Romo or Matt Ryan, some of those guys in the NFL who are actually really or Larry Fitzgerald as well. Super good golfers. I find that so fascinating and quite enjoyable actually to see the the great athletic skill that transfers to such a very underrating or underrated game in terms of its difficulty level because you watch on tv or and you watch other people do it it always looks so easy i mean you go out there and do it it's way 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 harder exactly i think you know athletes in general they're you know they might have played baseball you know they have a swing at least very good at visual learning right so they can watch something and be like oh i just need to do this and they figure it out um athletes get a little obsessive about something so you'll see some athletes like Tony Romo get obsessive about golf or you know Robbie Gold who gets obsessive about golf you know so and they put in the time right so that's probably why they're so good in a sense so no that's very fair and especially with playing a sport like that you get you just still gotta keep putting in time to be able to to get way better. And it, and I think one of the biggest reasons why people use that stereotype with kicking is because many of the skills and the fundamentals between the two transfer, how many people, how I'm sure you've heard the, you know, people talk about quarterback couches, you know, how about, you know, or sorry, is it? Yeah. What's the term? It's the, or like a a couch quarterback or couch GM, like those people that think that it's so easy. Right. Like how about couch kickers? People like, Oh, I could have hit that. Or it's so easy. Or, oh my goodness. Like yards. how do you miss? Like how often have you heard that throughout your time playing kicker? Oh, exactly. I mean, the thing about kicking is it, it comes down to the snapper and the holder. So, you know, if you have a new snapper, you have a new holder, just going to mess you up in general. I mean, one thing I was so crazy about this last year is that, you know, my snapper got hurt and he was out. He had like two concussions. And I mean, I was working with backup snapper and, that was always, that was challenging. I mean, that last kick in Calgary, I think I had a new snapper, great, you know, worked hard. Um, and, you know, he threw one a little high there at the last second. And I was like, oh, geez. I noticed it really fast, but, um, yeah, you know, you, you, he's got to go through some of those learning lessons. You just got to work with them. And, um, yeah, I had another snapper, Thomas Miles, who was a Winnipeg own native, and he had a, snap to me he never snapped and I was just like just throw it anywhere to me and I'll figure it out you know but that's the kind of leadership that I needed to like I don't know show at that moment compared to when I was younger I wouldn't be able to show that and be like get snap back like put it on my head make it perfect you know like work harder you know compared to 
as I got older, I was like, listen, like, this is what I got and I have to figure it out with him. So, um, yeah, it, it's not just, Hey, look at kick the ball higher. It's like, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's a snapper and holder. We all work together. And even the mental side of kicking too, is such a, an important factor when it comes to what's going through your head. Same thing with golf. It, it translates so well. So how did you, you talked a bit about flip-flopping back and forth when you first got drafted by the chiefs. And I remember reading an article, I think it was on bluebombers.com about um, the introduction of Bob and, you know, Bob and Trevor's relationship working together and how sometimes kickers competing in camps, whether it be training camp or whether it be at free gym workouts, will you know, play mind games or they'll, they'll do whatever they can to get the mental edge. So talk a bit about your initial experience in the NFL and, and how you maybe learn some lessons or, or were able to adapt to the learning curve of, of being in the biggest stage of football. So early on. Yeah. So the, um, I mean, the mental side is so big, uh, that's in everything that you do. Um, you'll have people who are nice and calm. They'll have people that are super stressed and there'll be people that are like perfectionists and need a routine. Right. So I'm probably on the edge of being like a perfectionist and need a routine, a structure. I can get off the routine. That's fine. But at the same time, it takes some time to, to really get that process and strategy in order. So I was, I'm, I'm more on like, you know, I'm very focused, right. Have like earplugs and through the whole like game, I'm going through scenarios and making sure that I'm really in tune with the game. Um, there's other people that are going to be really lax and chill on the sideline, take a swing and then go out to the field and be like, ah, oh, whatever, like missed or it's like not a big deal. Like for me, it's just not that kind of mentality. I think that's the difference between maybe the older generation and the newer generation, but you still get those people that are a lot more calm uh, in a sense, but you definitely, I think it's, I think also too, that really the reason why I am the way that I am is because I had a little bit more of the NFL background. Um, the mental side, you just definitely couldn't have that kind of mental side that some people have in the CFL and take that to the NFL. It just wouldn't work. You definitely need to put in the work and have the strategy and process in order. There's, you know, you look at like Adam Vinatieri. I mean, I mean, if he misses two field goals in practice, I mean, he's living like so upset on the other field working. You might get that in the CFL and somebody goes and misses too. They're just like, ah, I'll just off today. I'll just get the next day, you know? So there's a different attitude and the preparation that comes from the CFL and the NFL. And, but I think the kickers in general are just getting better. And, um, you know, the preparation is getting a lot better over the years compared to when I first got into the CFL. And if you look at the statistics of the top 10 lists for any field goal or kicking or punting records in CFL history, 90% of them are all guys from within the last 10 to 15 years. Sean White, Rene Paredes, yourself, Lewis Ward just recently with breaking the smashing the record for most field goals in a row. And you look at the people that played well before, you know, Hank Elisic and Bob Cameron, all those, um, Mark McLaughlin, all those guys who kind of, they, they had to, they walked so that kickers today could run, but it just goes to show how you're right, how competitive and how much better the routines have gotten amongst kickers and punters today, because there really is smaller and smaller margins of error when it comes to being able to make the league and with how many more people are practicing kicking and punting and how many more people are getting so good that 
the differences are very, very small when it comes to the people that make it to the training camp or make it to a workout. So it's a very yeah, important thing. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely getting better for sure. I think one thing that I can take it, I think that I've changed with the CFL, with the league is just the overall unit. I feel like when I first came in, the snapping was not big. The holders weren't good. Um, and I brought in a lot of philosophies that a lot of the kickers benefited from the philosophies that I brought in or in generally. Right. So I think, you know, you're talking about Lewis Ward going 69 in a row, which was amazing. Um, you know, he came in with a all-star punter who knew how to hold and was a pro with the snapper that, you know, did a great job and the snappers got better. Whereas, you know, you might have, you know, Renee Paradis in the beginning just had backup quarterbacks. And then towards the end of his little time there, he's had Rob Maver, who's, you know, I've definitely worked with a lot. And same thing with Sean White. I remember him struggling for a while there and then sent him a video and some holding. And he's always had a great holder since. So I think that's one thing that I would say that, hey, I've definitely up the CFL game is that everybody's gotten a lot better because of the overall unit, right? So That's a super important part. You mentioned holders. And even in some of my experiences, people would always say, what does, doesn't matter, man, just kick the ball. Or, you know, like, why does it matter the way you hold it? What if you get a bad hold? And, and obviously, you can't be so meticulous that you'll never kick the ball if there's a bad hold. But in terms of consistent routine, you can't have someone that leans it in if you're right footed kicker, they lean it to the left, or if you're a left footed kicker, they, they lean it to the right. You, you just can't have stuff like that or a snapper that is a loose cannon or especially with the holder, the way they put it down. If it's not in the same place, every time those things, they all add up. And especially with the success, we're, professional. we're professionals, right? So, you know, our job is to, to be great, um, be pros and we rely on those people. Just like in any job, if you rely on something to get done, it's going to need a team to get that thing done. And if it's not getting done um, because of one person in Slack, you know, then probably can get fired or whatnot. Yeah, that's, that's a hundred percent true. So having that perfect or th that, that operation, the whole operation unit working in sync is, is so critical. And especially with you look at how much success you've had in your career and how it's, you're kind of like, you know, Kobe Bryant in the sense that you get better with, you know, get better with age, like a fine wine, you know, being able to still perform at an elite level or like a LeBron James of kicking, I guess, as you get older, you still find ways to get better, which some people may find hard because they may run out of, run out of gas or they're trying to find ways to keep their body fresh. You look at guys like Paul McCallum, Lou Pisaglia, Bob Cameron, they played until another 10 years of, of your life, you know, like that's, it's crazy to think about how long those guys lasted, but what are some yeah. of the ways in which you've ensured that you could keep getting better and getting to the next level despite continuing to get a bit older. Yeah. I think as kickers, you could just play for a while. You can play for a long time. That's your choice. If you can, I mean, if you can continue to do it, but you know, I think like, um, you know, speaking of Paul McCallum, I think yeah, that's one guy I really respect. Just his mental side was just so sharp. Um, he wasn't the same kind of pro that I was, but he was just, very focused and technically sound and he made some big kicks so um sorry no i um my uh yeah he was um 
sorry, the, uh, sorry. Okay. So yeah, that was saying about um, Paul McCallum. I'm like, really, I, that's one guy I really look up to. And I think you can play in the league for so long if your mental side is just continuing to get better. It's just a matter of whether you want to play or not. Right. So um, my, I would say, you know, my mental game is sharp and could play for a long time, long period of time. It's just your, your choice of what you want to do. So in terms of kickers, you talk about Paul McCallum being a guy you admire as a professional, were there guys in the NFL or still guys to this day whose game you really admire and, and really look up to? Oh yeah. I mean, the kickers now are so good. I mean, Justin Tucker is just awesome. Um, it's kind of weird to watch him in the playoffs getting a little bit of a slump and then it started kind of like creeping in his head and just shows you like when you're off a little bit, those like you just don't put a very confident swing on the ball and then things kind of get a little shaky. And instead of being down the middle, you're sitting to make it just inside the upright. And he was starting to get a little bit, I feel like in his head a little bit. So that's a one. And then Adam and Terry, obviously the guys that I've come across that I've played with that I loved playing with was probably Robbie Gold. Um, you know, Robbie Gold is, he's a pro, right? He's very, he doesn't, he's not very, um, he doesn't wow you, but he's competitor. He's focused. Um, he kind of goes about the same kind of way that I would go about actual digging in general. So I like watching him in general, but he doesn't have like this big powerful leg. So it never really wows you, but I mean, he'll play for a while. He'll definitely just because of you know, he's in shape and these athletes are in such good shape. They can play a longer period of time. You're hundred percent right. Especially I like the example you bring up of Robbie gold, a guy who I've watched him play for several years now. And you're right. It doesn't pop off the wall. Like, Oh my goodness. Like, wow. Look at, or like Tyler Bass, I guess recently, you know, hitting from 55 plus how many times like, Oh wow. Look at his leg or Greg Zerline or any of those guys. But He's so, like almost like a Sean White, right? Like Sean White, you don't see him blasting him from 60, but you never see a miss from like 50 in. And that yeah. super consistency is more important than anything as a kicker because they're not gonna they're not gonna get it mad at you or they're not gonna send you out to to launch from 60 if they know 55 in guaranteed every time we're making it if we send out Robbie, you know? Yeah, exactly. I uh, I would always pay a kicker. I would kind of uh, punter. I would be like, eh. You can just you can get a new one and pay cheaper. That's how I would go about things, but because um, I feel like everybody can just like boom the ball, and it's a little different than the CFL. But in the NFL, I wouldn't pay a partner at all because um, they just hit it high and fair catch. And it's the same thing. But with kickers, I just would pay because when that game comes on um, to the wire, and at the end, you definitely want a Robbie Gold, a Phil Dawson, you know, Justin Tucker out there over the rookie who's good and will get some experience, but I definitely would rather have the veteran all day. So then let me ask you a bit about punting then. So you talk about how, if you were an NFL GM, you wouldn't, wouldn't really pay a punter. So not even someone like John Ryan. Um, I think John Ryan is great. I just would never pay a punter because especially in the NFL, I mean, these guys in college are so good. And all they do now is they just like, you got to remember the field is smaller. You mm -hmm. everybody hits an Aussie. And then these guys are hitting 50 yard Aussies and they're just hitting Aussies all game. And so they're hitting Aussie balls 
and uh, you can hit it out of bounds. You know, nobody really is, you know, you just hit it high, fair catch. It's a lot different than CFL compared to an NFL game. So, um, I mean, it's just in general, like, you know, John had a great career and played in Seattle, won Super Bowl. It's really awesome. Um, you know, they replaced him with a young, cheaper guy, and <laughs> I think he went to the Pro Bowl. So it's like, it's just kind of like the punters, in my opinion, I've always said this to some of the uh, NFL punters. I'm like, I would never pay you. Like, there's guys that are going to camps and they're hitting bombs. And I'm just like, I'll take that guy, teach him how to be a pro. And then he'll just hit it high. We'll get fair catch. And you see guys like they'll, they'll like run into a, like, for example, you'll have a guy he'll start with a team and he'll be a rookie and he has a great Aussie and he's okay punter. And he just hits like 70% of his balls. He'll hit an Aussie punt all day and they'll, they'll fair catch, have no returns and they'll make a long career out of it. It's just, it's crazy. I watched a lot. I got pretty obsessive with the, the film over the last like three years. And uh, I would watch some of these punters and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like all they do is just hit the same ball and they're productive. Um, and then you get some guys who are just all over the place, big legs, you know, so that's what it is. And I know Pat McAfee has had several clips on his show about um, the, the Bills punter one game who had a ball that he Aussie didn't went out I don't know. He, I don't even, th- I don't know if he Aussie did like vertically. I think he did an Aussie, like it was a, a risky Aussie. He was talking about, yeah. he, he so held it like, I, like it's the same thing. So you just aim like you're going left. So that's what made me a lot more successful over the last few years. Um, everybody was hitting the Aussie ball um, the last few years. And that's when I made the change. So I think at 18, I broke it out. 17, we were hitting the ball just in practice. And I was like, you know what? I think it was, yeah, 17, 2017, we went to Sask and I played awful. Um, I punted so bad. And I remember Josh Bartel was hitting Aussies. And I was like, man, I have to have an Aussie. Because when it's windy, you want to be able to hit this ball and be able to, like, survive those games. So the whole offseason of that year, I worked on the Aussie. And the first game I go in there to go hit the ball on 18, it was, like, awful. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have, but I was, like, itching because I'm, like, fuming. Because I'm, like, the whole week, I'm, like, I can't wait to get this ball i'm gonna get it i'm gonna i'm gonna like crush it so the next time i got this situation it was like perfect and so i used to hit this ball on the left hash and i used to call it the aussie cook ball because it's the sam cook so i just call it the sam cook ball um and so i'd aim left to be on the left hash and you know, as a lefty i'd aim left and then hook it right um so i'd aussie it over the other side and that's what made me different from a lot of the punters and the CFL. So you saw John Ryan doing the same thing that I was doing towards the end of um, the season. So when John Ryan came up here to the CFL, he was just a pretty basic punter. Same thing, hit the Aussie, but just straight and then just hit. He tried to play an NFL game, but then basically their coach was like, listen, do this. And he basically did the same exact thing that I do, just be able to hit the big ball. So it was kind of different to watch him play the game towards the end because it was like he was playing the same way I was playing. I could guess the shots that he was going to hit and I could tell the guys where they were going to be. But he was a way more effective punter once he figured out the game than he was in the beginning of the year. But for the last two years, I was I had been hitting that ball. And it got me through a couple of tough games. And 
yeah, I uh, I did pretty well the last few years. I felt like I felt like I was the best punter in the CFL last year. I just didn't get CFL All Star. <laughs> I think even those guys would tell you too. They're like, man, the, the All Star voting for a CFL is so bad. It's like it is what it is <laughs> no no i know totally what you mean and it's it's so tough right because you talk about the nfl and all these guys that can hit big balls and they can just crush them to the ceiling fair catch boom 38 yard net like i used to remember being shocked as like why is the best punt in the nfl only have like a 47 or six yard average like that's nothing but then you look and see okay well the field's smaller the aussie it so many times they're trying to get it to bounce back inside the goal line Someone like Brett Kern for the Titans was so good at doing that. And it kind of destroys your average in a way. But I remember being beside Rob Maver and watching him punt, just spiral nose over. And every time 50 plus, every time, like, you know, his it's interesting to see because I had uh, with Maver, you know, we have a pretty good relationship. And uh, I used to try to convince him to get the Aussie ball because he had the low line driver that I was always trying to work on never got it down but i was like man you will destroy it if you hit the aussie ball because nobody can line up anywhere because you could go right or left so one of the things that i had going is that i would make the call at the line and be able to like check it and go right or left so i could make the call as i was back there so that was what made and that's because our special teams coach worked with johnny hecker and so we were able to bring that over so but that was a is a really cool thing and so it made coaches like you know, have to game plan for me um, a lot differently. And um, some coaches would be better and some wouldn't. So, No, and the Aussie ball is such a, it's such a deadly th- weapon to have in your artillery. And especially when the guys like Pat McAfee talk about Johnny Hecker's Aussie or the way that he hits the ball and it, it just knuckles in a way that it's hard for the returners to, to get sometimes because in the NFL, the field's so narrow, like, you know, it doesn't yeah. take that much of a, a, doesn't take as much of a crazy effort to be able to, to look like you're left-footed on the left hash and you crush it to the right and you go 40 yards out of bounds. A 40-yard net is better than out-punting the, you know, your team and then they house it, right? So it's, it's so fascinating how once people get on board with this one trend, then everybody realizes that that's the newest thing that they got to do, especially you look at a sport like basketball and you got a guy like Przingis or Doncic who is close to seven feet, can shoot threes, can dunk, and can handle the ball. Well, then a guy who can't handle the ball at seven feet or can't shoot threes is just now seen as useless. So like, you got to kind of add that to your, to your toolbox. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's the game is changing. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens here um, in the future too. Cause you know, with the global players coming over here and you know, you got Aussie punters coming just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens. I'm just, you know, hoping CFL football happens and um, such a great league. Um, great friends. So open CFL happens. Uh, I would hundred percent agree and, and hope that it does happen because there's, there's so many great times to be had and thinking about everything that was so magical about the bombers winning the great cup, or I guess going on two years ago. Now the celebrations, the way the season went, the ups and downs and all the things that came together in the great cup. And, and I was actually at the great cup in, in Calgary with my friends and, and one of the things that I found a bit, and and this is no no slide on every, anything that happened in the Great Cup, but a bit anticlimactic was the times that you guys came close to scoring a touchdown, and then oh, after yeah. a few, the room in the field is that you know Rashid Bailey dropped it, sir. So 
you have to send out the field goal unit and the number of turnovers you guys got. And then, okay, Justin comes out again and bangs in a 20 yarder or bangs in a 30 yarder. Yeah. But so did that make you feel excited that you got to, to be in the spotlight a little more? Or were you like, I just want touchdowns and extra points. Like don't send I mean, me off. At that point, I just want to score. I just want to win. I think at that point, I didn't really care. You get so locked in. I was very locked in on that game. Um, I was always like just one. Cause I think I learned from that year, uh, 2014 is that, you know, it's going to be every play is going to be important. So when I went into the 19 Grey cup, I was just like every play. So when I missed the first field goal, I was like, you know, every just continue to grind and keep fighting, you know, um, stay to the process. And so I was just so locked in on the process that I wasn't even really watching the game as much. So I just didn't really enjoy it. as like that. So I just, I mean, towards the end, I was like, Oh, I had some field goals. I didn't even know. And I was like, Oh, I had six field goals. I didn't know I had six. I thought I had like two. So it's weird how it just goes by you when you're in tunnel vision, it's like, you just don't realize what's going on in the game. Um, but you watch it and you go, wow, you're really kicking a lot of dribbles there. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, it, then you go back to like this Calgary and SAS game and you're in the moment, but you're like, not like I was in the zone, but it was like, I could tell you everything about those games, especially SAS. I think that just brings out the, like the fight and focus that I had. I was very competitive with a lot of those, with those two teams, um, especially Hamilton too. That, those three games were really, you, you know, you want to put out your best effort. And, and I mean, especially Hamilton, a, a team that used to play on and, and you and Hiralahu kind of switching, trading places in a way. Cause you know, yeah. you know, he was a Hamilton guy who used to play for Winnipeg and you're a, you know, yeah. you know, you're a Hamilton guy that now played for Winnipeg. So I would have been a bad thing to lose to Hamilton. And I was like, oh gosh, if we lose to Hamilton, I have to live this down and live live it up and hear Simone Lawrence talk about this for a long, long time. So I'm glad it didn't happen. So um yeah, it's just crazy like to look at that team and I mean there was no doubt like they were gonna we were gonna win, you know, just I uh yeah, you kind of just wonder how we're gonna play. But just looking back at it, I'm like, there's a reason why we were going to win too. Just our mentality and fight for the team is just, you know, unparalleled. And what did it feel like after the final kneel down to see everything that you guys had achieved, especially in terms of your relationship with another former Tiger Cat and Zach Kalaros, you guys both having played with Hamilton together, you mentioned earlier and having conquered Hamilton and, and Zach Kalaros kind of being in that, in that last dance position, you know, where he had, you know, played for Hamilton and then went to Saskatchewan and then they traded him and Simone Lawrence had the shot that knocked him out for most of the season. And he sat down and said, and I took that personally. Yeah. No, I, um, I definitely wanted to win. I just wanted to win a great cup, to be honest. I just, I wanted to win a great cup. I know it felt like the year before I felt like I was on top of my game. I played an amazing game. I felt like, um, pretty flawless game actually to be honest with you against Calgary like brought my a game I knew I needed to bring it and um especially when you're playing against two great kickers too in general so um but yeah just going to the 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 Hamilton game I think that Zach like he just wanted to beat Hamilton he didn't really care about the great cup I think he cared about it but I think he just wanted to beat Hamilton and 
every athlete gets into those moments. I don't think it was Hamilton for me. It was more just winning the great cup. Yeah, I know for sure. And that makes a lot of sense and, and the celebrations and everything that followed and the parade, it was, it was all such a great moment to soak in. And what, what did it all finally feel like when you were able to, to hold the cup in the great, the best Jets jersey that they have, the 90s one with the good old Timo on the back and to be able to celebrate with yeah. your family? What was that feeling like after all these years? Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was definitely really special. Um, yeah, I mean, gives you like some goosebumps just thinking about like going back to Port de Jav and, you know, it was definitely a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty special, you know, those guys on our team, especially, you know, a guy like Andrew Harris, you know, he's from Winnipeg. I mean, he should be very proud of himself that, you know, he really put us on his back and, you know, he brought a great cup to this, to the city and he'll always be able to talk about it and live it down. I think that's um, something he should be very proud of. And, um, I'm just a little part of it. I don't really look at it as like a big part, you know? Um, so. Well, Justin, we're getting towards the end of our time here. So I wanted to ask you a few more questions before we wrap up to, to conclude today's episode. Yeah. Okay. So the first question I have to ask is what's the most three most memorable field goals you've kicked in your career. Um, let's go top three. All right. So number one would probably be against Chicago, Carolina. Um, just everything that, meant to how hard I worked to get back to the NFL and to kick five field goals in that game. And then to come down to the fourth quarter and make, you know, a big kick with a minute 30, if I don't make it games over, um, ended up Robbie gold going back and kicking the game winner against us. But that was a pretty cool one. hit the post, knocked it in, um, one of the toughest stadiums to play in. Um, so that was probably my number one, my number two, uh, they're both like a flip flop. So number two would definitely probably be the Hamilton one um, in the East uh, divisional finals against Toronto. That one, just being in the moment, uh, being able to kick that, I knew that was going to be my last kick there in that stadium. So that I knew in my mind, I just kind of kept that to myself, but I knew that. So it was like, as soon as I got done playing there, I knew it was like, that was it. You know, I was probably never going to be playing there as a Hamilton tie cat. So um so that was probably my number two and then my number three is obviously the sask winnipeg labor day classic it's pretty cool one because you know the thing that was special about that one is one is the sask um winnipeg rivalry and even the following year i had the same thing but that one was cool because it's your first kick with that team that is big and you really need to establish yourself and that your career can kind of go different ways. Right. So like, if you miss that kick, it's kind of like, man, we brought him here and he can't make that kick. That's why we brought him. Right. So that was the reason why you're not going to make every kick. Um, but that was, uh, that was a big one. And it was just, it's cool to just be on the road for that one. My next question I have for you is who is the silliest teammate you've ever played with? The silliest, I would just say myself, actually, to be honest. I'm pretty much a clown when it comes to the locker room. I'm really focused. I'm the two different people when it comes to the kicking world and then in the locker room. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, I mean, Chad Rumpel's pretty – he's a pretty big clown, you know. The, the two old men are the ones that are the biggest clowns, I would say, in, in the locker room, I guess. Different clowns, I guess. <laughs> 
Top three coaches you've ever played for? Um, Coach O'Shea is definitely. Um, just from learning from him as like a man and a leader, there's just so much valuable things. I mean, I ended up like was crying in his, in his uh, coach's room one time. And, you know, just like one time we were just both crying together, two grown men just crying in there. And it was like, pretty weird and crazy. Um, yeah, speaking of which, I need to give him a call. <laughs> He's like, called me. I forgot to give him a call back. Um, yeah, so uh, my other one is, uh, uh, I don't know, Ron Rivera. Oh, well, sorry, Carl Durrell, my coach at UCLA, um, just stuck with me, you know, gave me multiple chances. Um, you know, that's just, you develop as a man, just from the youth, right? Um, so very thankful for him. And then uh, Ron Rivera, he's the great coach, you know. Obviously, it didn't work out for me there, but I'm a – I'm a big believer in buying in, right? Like you either perform or you get out. And I definitely was not one that make excuses. So but he was a great guy to learn from. And you know, Herm Edwards, I've always believed in all my coaches, to be honest. Like it hasn't been probably one coach that I didn't really care for, but you got to buy into their plan. And so I've always been that way. Well, that's very, it's a very, very great points you bring up with those coaches that you mentioned, especially someone like Ron Rivera with everything he was able to accomplish with Washington this year and overcoming cancer is, is truly tremendous to see the character and the resolve that some of these men have on the players and the an impact it has on their, on their lives just from playing football. Yeah, exactly. So um, he was definitely a great, great guy. And um, I'm sure if I saw him again, I definitely chatted up. So. Now this question may be really difficult to answer and I don't want you to throw anyone under the bus if you don't, if you don't want to, but who is the best holder you've ever had in your career? Man, that is a tough one. Um, I'm very, very appreciative of all my holders, especially as I get older. Um, everybody's going to say the Luke Tasker, you know, the coaches, that's the guy that like, you just, you want your kid to grow up and be like, because he's just a yes, sir, never talk back kind of guy. So I was more of a yeller at that time. Like, get done. Like I remember sitting him down after one of my games in Hamilton. I'm like, I need you to be better because I need to be better. And like the kind of way that I would talk to him, is just not the right way that I would talk to somebody as I got older. So Weston Dressler was always great. Um, I got a picture of him up. Somewhere here. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, another guy coaches, you know, just a dream guy that you would definitely want your kid to grow up and be like. But I mean, all of them have been great. Matt Nichols, Matt Coates, like even Sean McGuire. I mean, I fired him in the middle of the season and brought him back. And it's all there at the end of the year. Just, I mean, every single one of them have always been great. So but I would say probably Luke Tasker. That's a tough one. Oh yeah. And especially with so many guys you listed, it, it, it isn't easy to, to give one answer. And the final question that I have for you is you've been very known, well-known for, for your, your, your star, your, your star as a, as a, as a social media dad that is very, very outgoing and very silly, as you had mentioned before, what are some top three goals you have as a parent after you're, you're done your football career? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough thing too, right? So, you know, I don't use social media in the sense that 
I definitely want to keep it professional and don't want to put myself out there and say the wrong thing. So I definitely don't pick those battles. Um, you know, just use my social media as my kid and whatnot. I'd love to share my life a little more, but I don't think it's the most professional thing for what I'm trying to do. So, um, but yeah, as a parent, I just want to be able to give my kid, you know, the best, right. And show them the right way and hopefully educate them a little bit and so you can learn some more life skills that maybe I didn't learn as a kid. And um, so he grows up from that, that aspect and then just having fun, right? Like I want to be able to enjoy it. Like I was just been so like a little bit more stressed this week and, you know, I have both the kids on Saturday. I'm going to, you know, watch them and I just really want to be present. I would definitely want to try to put my phone down and be really present with them. Cause I get a little like start thinking and thinking a little too much and, just get stressed out. Right. So I just want to work on just being present and uh, enjoying the moments because, uh, and you know, maybe be their coach one day. Those are great things. And it's, it's all important an important part of being, being a parent, being a professional and, and it's, it's an enjoyable journey. And, and again, it's the same as football. It requires a lot of hard work, but you can have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. No, it's um, yeah. Very thankful for, opportunities you know i'm always thankful for all opportunities so well with that justin that that concludes our episode so i want to thank you so much for having been on today's episode of the show it's been super super awesome being able to talk kicking a football yeah no thank you thank you for having me well everyone thank you for listening to today's episode with winnipeg blue bombers kicker and punter justin medlock first and goal from the one this is it Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.